The rules we grew up with were never meant for us. It's time for a change. Welcome to Becoming Wild. This podcast will support you in untethering from conditioning, examining limiting beliefs around womanhood and value, and tapping into your innate power. Because when women embody our truest, wildest selves, we change much more than our own lives. We change the world. I'm your host, Emma Wittard. Hello, welcome to episode three of Becoming Wild. I'm your host, Emma Wittard, and I'm coming to you today from Pasadena, California. Our first two episodes focused on coaching sessions around unlearning. Today, we're changing the format up for an interview. My guest has already done a lot of unlearning work, and in case you haven't listened to the last episode or need a reminder, here's a little explanation of unlearning. When we're born, we're given a lot of stories about how the world works, and we take it as the truth. However, there is no such thing as one model of the world, and sometimes what we've taken as truth doesn't serve us. Unlearning is the process of freeing ourselves from these stories so we can live happier, more fulfilling lives. We'll get into some of what my guest has unlearned and is yet to unlearn in the interview. There's a bit of background noise on the dialogue, so I'm calling that now. But before we get to that, let's see what wild question has graced my inbox since the last episode. S writes, Growing up, my parents always taught us skills that would allow us to be independent and support ourselves. My mum had us making our own lunches before we were out of grade school and doing our own laundry in high school. My dad taught me how to use basic tools and car maintenance. Very stereotypical roles, I know. But the gist of it is, by the time I was on my own, off to university, I felt confident that I could get through any life situation, from cooking a meal to changing a flat tyre. With that upbringing, I felt it made me very independent, and that I didn't need to rely on anyone else to survive. But my parents were married for 52 years, until my father passed. And I've always wanted that kind of happy marriage with the white picket fence, etc. I've been married twice now. The first I knew was a mistake, but I stuck it out for nine years. And the second, which I thought was my dream come true, lasted 12 years. And I find myself single once again. Given all of the above, I'm proud to have held on to my home and be able to support myself on my own. And I know that I'll be okay no matter what comes next. However, I would much rather be in a long-term relationship and have that life partner to go through the ups and downs that are still to come. I find myself battling a dichotomy of I'm a strong woman who doesn't need anyone else to survive and I don't want to do this alone and how have I not found the man I deserve? What is wrong with me? The feelings of being alone and lonely are strong. On the one hand, I feel like I have a strong sense of self-worth. On the other, I'm wondering, if I'm such an amazing person, why am I alone again? 
And will I ever find that other person that I feel I want and deserve? Oh my gosh, S, thank you for this question. It's so close to my own experience and I'm definitely still in this one with you and doing my own work around it. You said you're battling the dichotomy of I'm a strong woman who doesn't need anyone else to survive and not wanting to be alone. There's a story there that strength is about not needing anyone else. So I would begin by questioning the story. What if the opposite were true? What if strength is recognizing that you can be powerful and independent and that we all still need and want love and companionship? We're mammals. This is a fundamental need for us. It's okay to crave it and it doesn't make us weak. Then there's the story that you are alone without a man. Again, is it true? Is it true that you're alone? Think of all the support that you have in your life, friends, families, colleagues. Are you really alone? Then you say, if I'm such an amazing person, why am I alone again? This story equates being amazing with getting and keeping a partner. Where have you got the story that the one equals the other? Is it true that it does? Do you know any other amazing people who don't have partners? <coughs> you can't see me, but I'm pointing to myself. Just saying. You write, will I ever find that other person I deserve? What is important about that word deserve? What is the story? That you get someone if you deserve them? How can you deserve another person? Are they a medal or a box of chocolates? Who decides whether you deserve them or not? Why should you have to deserve them? How about just being the right fit for each other with no value judgment attached to that? So these are all stories that you're telling yourself. You can choose new ones. I know that sounds easier said than done. But I found an amazing book to help you with it. And now I'll talk about this a lot on this show because it's my number one top coaching book of all time. Byron Katie's book, Loving What Is. It's a fantastic tool for teaching yourself to question and change your stories. I'll put the info in the show notes. What I suggest you focused on most, actually, is how you're feeling. You said that you feel lonely. How does that actually feel in your body as a fundamental basic emotion? Is it sadness? So let's say you feel sad. Begin by noticing that is how you're feeling and allowing it to be. Tell yourself, I feel sad and that's okay. And then ask yourself, given that I feel sad and that's okay, what is the most supportive thing that I can do for myself right now? It might be to make some tea or have a nice warm bath with candles and rose petals. That's a favorite of mine. Or call a friend. The main thing is that the thoughts are the product of the emotion. So treat the emotion 
rather than the thoughts. You are feeling sad and that's okay. It's only when we accept the reality of our feelings and look at ourselves with compassion that we can start to give ourselves what we really need to heal and move forward. This is a practice. It's called Radical Acceptance of Emotions. And I have another book recommendation for you. Tara Brach's book, Radical Acceptance, does an amazing job of explaining this and giving you practical ways to practice and heal. Again, I'll put the details in the show notes. I hope that helps us. And I'm sending you lots of love, hugs, and tenderness. Now on to my guest. Betsy Cross is the founder and designer of Portland jewelry brand, Betsy and Aya. She began the company in 2008 as a response to the question, how can I live a life rooted in creativity and make a living doing it. Art and creativity have always been at the center of her interests. She has an MFA in physical and ensemble-based theater, is an avid dancer and new gardener. Her company, Betsy and Aya, had early success selling to shops around the world when it was only her making, designing, selling, and building the business. It has grown organically since then, always working to achieve the goal of amplifying and celebrating beauty, strength, and connection of all people. Betsy lives in Portland with her husband, who is also her business partner, her six-year-old daughter, and two dogs. She's always followed her heart, even if she didn't know it, often blooming where she was planted. From its Portland production studio and retail shop, Betsy and Aya designs and makes both fashion and fine jewellery and offers bespoke story-based jewellery designs to individual customers. The store also carries gifts, clothing and accessories made by other independent artists from around the world. Products which are all as the neon sign in their shop window reads, beautiful things made by people who care. Betsy was a one-to-one coaching client of mine for 18 months and is a valuable member of my Wild Woman online community. Betsy Cross, welcome to Becoming Wild. It's such such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) You're my first guest yay and I can't imagine a better example of a wild woman how are you today thank you Emma I'm doing great and I'm so honored that you would have me and super excited to be your first guest I'm feeling great and doing well how about you I am good. The honor goes both ways. I'm very honored to have you as my first guest and excited to be doing this together. This is a new way for us to interact. So that's exciting. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. I'm ready. And I'm going to start by asking you to share your wild story with us. So how did you get from little girl Betsy to the wild and wonderful woman you've become today? It's 
So little girl Betsy, she was always kind of quiet and and super sensitive. I, I remember at a really young age feeling things deeply and recognizing that it felt different. It felt like, well, my sister doesn't, it doesn't seem like she's experiencing that same thing the way that I am. And I mean something simple like a movie where it wasn't necessarily a sad movie, but I would feel something really deeply about it and be super impacted by it. And I explained that in the beginning of this interview to say that I think my ability to feel things in that way has sort of guided me on my path Mm -hmm. through life for better or worse. And I've always been really interested in anything related to creativity. And I think my whole journey through life, there is a thread of that. So when, when I was little, I actually felt like I was a tomboy. So it's kind of like an interesting understanding or feeling of myself when I was younger that at least in reflection, that I was this, this body that was both masculine in some ways and deeply feminine, like deep feminine connection to womanhood or girlhood. But I felt like kind of clunky in a way. And I, I still feel that in some ways, but in doing the work that I've done with you, Emma, and exploration, discovery, I'm learning that some of that is just also what society told me about being a girl and what I should be and how I should look and all that. And so what I'm getting at with creativity is that at some, so for the longest time I was like, I don't, I don't want to dance because dancing is girly and I'm not girly. I'm, I'm a tomboy. And then at some point, I think I was in the third grade, which is pretty late to start dancing I mean, it's, you can start dancing at any time, but in the way that I, of course, like, hello, <laughs> but in the way that I, that I understood dancing that, you know, in order to be a good dancer, you needed to start when you were three years old or whatever. But I, I, I went to see a friend's dance recital and I felt an incredible, like intuitive calling to try it out. And I was like, who cares if it's girly? you know, it doesn't have to be that dance is just a beautiful thing. It's about music and art and movement. And so in third grade, I started dancing and I pretty quickly became a really strong dancer and ended up competing. It wasn't through my high school or anything, just through the dance troupe that I, that I trained with. And I think that I learned that I remember I'd never felt so alive as when I was dancing in front of an audience and I felt like the music or I felt like my energy was tangible. Like it was coming out of my body and pouring forward into this large audience and they could feel it if they wanted to. And I think that that feels like a pretty pivotal moment in my life where, where I understood the power of, yeah, of um, like connection and, and connecting to myself 
and to to music and to like uh, to art and to to others in that way. And I think that might have been the time in my life when I knew that I could not do anything with my life besides something rooted in creativity. But I, you know, I didn't identify that at that age. I was probably like maybe 12 or 13 when I felt that when I was dancing. So I, sorry, pause. My dog is in the room and walking behind me. <laughs> That's okay. My dog just poked her nose around my recording studio, or as I should say, recording closet. Thinking, <laughs> why are you in? Why are you in the closet? <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Let me pick him up, and then I know he won't walk on the ground. Uh, it'll be good. Okay. So yeah, school was great for me. It was fine. I was kind of a shy kid, but then as I got through, like more older and got into high school and college my I my more outgoing self came out and I I think when I heard the term extroverted introvert I felt I identified with that that felt like a way to describe how I felt about myself and I uh, I've always always loved listening to stories and stories about people's lives and connecting with people in, in that way. And I actually brought that into my work now. I do a lot of custom bespoke jewelry for people and I try to put their stories into the work, not in any sort of on the nose or, or cheesy type of way, but in a way that is the stories themselves seem to call the designs to, to mind for me. So yeah, I've always been interested in people and how they are in the world and I think that's kind of guided my whole life's journey from school to college and graduate school and to where I am now in my business. For for a while, I, my focus was theater, and that was kind of by accident. That's partly why I talk about being the type of person who blooms where I'm planted. I'm from Virginia, and of course, I've been in Oregon for a really long time now, but when I was finishing high school, I wasn't quite sure, as many of us are, what what I wanted to do with my life. And so I knew I wanted to go to college and just kind of follow along that that path. And I, I thought, like, why not do something with dance? So we called up Virginia Tech and said, did you have a dance department? They're like, no, it's not really a dance department. It's more of a theater, but there is dance incorporated into it. I'd never done theater before in my life. I'd never been in a school play and not even done like, you know, young exploration, nothing, none of it, just dancing. And so I uh, were like, all right, that sounds good. So I'm going to enter college as a theater major and, um, <laughs> and I'm going to basically fake my way through this until I fall in love with it, which is exactly what happened. Did you have the courage to do that? Oh my God, Emma, I I don't know. I was terrified for it, the first full year, pretty much. I was terrified and I totally pretended like I, you know, knew what I was doing and wasn't afraid to try. Oh, Amazing. It was, oh, it was, it was terrifying. I mean, I remember like the first time I did a monologue. Oh my God, I... I don't know. I'm surprised I didn't like pee my pants. It was so scary. But I do think that that experience um, 
in the experience of theater in general, like the work ethic behind it, what takes to produce that kind of thing is absolutely helped define how I work and how I move about the world. So from there, I got into theater. I still did dance. And then, and then I got really interested in exploring more alternative theater. And so the school I went to, I actually learned theatrical clown. So even though my master's degree sounds more fancy, I'm, I'm, my training is in clowning and um, commedia dell'arte. And again, I, I, that at that school, we would get an assignment the first day of the week. So Monday, we'd get like a prompt of some kind. You'd be in a group and I'd have to create a piece of theater from the ground up and present it to my peers and teachers on Friday. And that was like every single week of the year, pretty much. So, yeah, so we, you know, just learned how to create from nothing constantly and also get feedback, critical feedback and bounce back from that and kind of bloom and blossom from there. So that's um, amazing. Knowing knowing you as I do and knowing to some degree your creative process when it comes to your bespoke jewelry pieces, mm-hmm. I can see how, or maybe I should ask it as a question actually, you know, do you think that experience helped you when it comes to the process that you have? around taking somebody's story and making it into a piece of jewelry. Mm, Absolutely. It's so funny. I've never drawn that direct line, but you just did that for me. And that absolutely has an impact on my ability to do that for sure. You know, wow, you're really, (laughs) we've got got some light bulbs going off right now. I mean, I, I, you know, things, it's not like everything is easy for me. It's not in, in the business. I mean, but one thing I've, I've said over and over again is that somehow I have this, I have this just, it's hard to understand. I have a hard time understanding it, but I have this ability to get, hear a story, you know, have, know that I'm going to work with someone, sit down when the allotted time that I have to sit down and come up with new ideas on the spot every single time. I've been always been impressed by my ability and, and honestly perplexed in a way by my, my ability to, to do that. And so grateful for it. And I think that that absolutely has something to do with, can you hear him? <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We've, we've said, we've said it's the dog. It's all good. Okay. okay. Yeah, you you were kind of, I mean, and not to take away from the fact that, you know, I'm sure some of this you were born with and you were taught create basically creative improvisation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I do, we often, my my husband, who's also my business partner, he he also has a background in theater and we often talk about how, we didn't realize what theater was setting us up for and for resiliency, especially in the business and like hard times. And yeah. And when something is not, you know, we don't think it's like the right fit for us or, or, or it needs improvement or something. It's to us, it's like, Oh yeah, it needs improvement. So stop that thing, move on from it and go forward and do the next thing. 
and, yeah. and not everybody has that. And, and that's taken us, you know, some people we work with, you know, it's been difficult to kind of find that balance because it's, it's a way that we, that we work that is, uh, feels really natural to us because of our experience, I think. But yeah, yeah. how great the devising part that I just feel super lucky that th those ideas come to me so easily. It, it, you know, it, I still, I still find the something that you and I worked a lot on about resourcing myself and grounding myself and not having guilt around that. And I still find it difficult to, to say like, okay, so these are the things that lead me up to being able to decide it's time. So once I've made the decision, it's time to draw for this. It comes to me like that, but, but just the, like getting in that space is what is, is difficult for me sometimes. And, you know, feeling, feeling like it's, uh, it's important to take the time to do that. It's still something I struggle with, though. It's gotten much better for me. It's still, it's still can be difficult to do that. Yeah. Can you, can you talk to us about how, how you started the company and, and what that journey has been like from, from the idea of starting this business through to being, you know, the leader and the face and the spokesperson of the business today, starting with where did the courage come from to start a create a creative company? Yeah. Great question. <laughs> the courage to start the company came from a, a, it was a mix for me of, of needing to make money, which so funny. I, I mean, start, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting a creative business, like there really are absolutely no guarantees. So it's kind of funny that I needed to make money. So that's what I chose to do. <laughs> right. But this like this necessity and then desire to do things the way that I wanted to do them and to be rooted in creativity. I don't even know how to say it just felt like I without that, I would not. I couldn't go on. And and so because of all that, I. I felt so determined. I felt determined to make it work. And that was also because I didn't feel I had, I think my family was supportive for sure, but they were skeptical. And because of that, and I felt skepticism kind of all around me. And I think because of that, I felt a lot of drive to prove people wrong and to prove to myself that I could do it. And so yeah, I mean, I, I think all of that and then probably, honestly, the background of, of theater and kind of putting myself out there in a super uncomfortable way many times, time and time and time again, that made me feel like I could I could do it. And I'd worked at a jewelry, like bead shop when I was in graduate school, not thinking at all it would lead to any sort of career path for me. And um, I had collected beads and things like that and learned like very basic jewelry making. I didn't know how to make jewelry or anything before that time. But I think that taught me something that I just wasn't expecting to do. And then 
and then these other like these life experiences kind of converged at the perfect time with all this. So at the end of my graduate school career, I went to Mexico City and I lived there for three months. And it was there that I was teaching Mexican. I was t- teaching mask work to university students in Hidalgo, and then I was also learning from my mentor traditional Mexican mask work. So I was studying Mexican like wooden mask work, and then I was also performing with it. And at that time, I, um, I don't know, have you ever been to Mexico City? No, I would love to know. Oof. It's a bucket list. It is so special. It's such a special place. And this, you know, this is before smartphones came out. So like, not that that would make it different now, but it was the time where when you're, when you're living in a place like that and you kind of have to find your way through it, you know, you have to, there, there isn't like this safety net in a way. There's just, you have to explore and you have to kind of be vulnerable and open yourself up to the experience of, of the place. And I found Mexico City to be so vibrant. The culture was alive and colorful and and it I just felt this, such a strong connection to it. And on the weekends, they would have these, I think they still do it, these weekend mercados where in the middle of the street where I lived, it was like a huge street, like huge center median area. And all these artists and artisans and craftspeople would come out and sell their stuff. Some people were painters. I ended up like taking painting lessons from a guy on the street regularly. And then there was, there were you know, woodworkers and all these types of people. And something about all that energy really inspired me. And, and I, I think I just kind of like put it in a little pocket in my brain and like stored it there. Huh, this is, this is attractive to me and this feels so right for me. And then when I moved to Portland, soon after I graduated, I did theater for a while. I was teaching, but something just wasn't quite clicking the way I wanted it to, not just because I felt like I needed to make more money. I was struggling, but it wasn't just that. And I think I had guilt around that. Like I've gone my whole education through theater and here I am, you know, like thinking I'm going to go in another direction, but I had, I just, it was like a thing that I could not ignore. And, um, so I, uh, yeah, I just, I thought this is, these people inspire me. Portland at the time, especially was a city of that kind of opportunity, just like the maker, the maker scene. I think that we are sort of a hub of that here in that, that movement that was especially popular when I was getting started and for the first 10 years of the business where, you know, kind of this entrepreneurial, small, very small business, small batch mentality that you can, you know, you can do it and you can make it happen. And, and so, yeah, I kind of took all of that together. And then I opened, I made a whole bunch of collections and I opened my studio, my Will's band played. I was also in a band at the time. That was a thing. Everyone you met in Portland was in a band. It was, it was so funny. But his band played and I, I sent flyers to all the shops in town and invited all my friends and their friends and their friends. And in that first weekend, I made back my very modest, but still made back my entire startup costs. Wow. And, and I said, that's, and I said, before I did it, if I make enough money this weekend, that will be my answer. Mm-hmm. So I approached it kind of like, this is my question. <laughs> Should I do this with my life? And, or, you know, my career right now, should I have this pivot? And that will be my answer. And so I took that as my answer and I, I never looked back. Wow. 
I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> very, very, very cool. And now, now, you know, the way that things have evolved and I know, you know, you look, you're responsible for a whole team of people and, you know, the business is a well-established business, but you also had to make it through COVID. How, how does it feel to be Betsy, the, the business owner now? Mm. It feels good to be the owner. It feels like I'm still stepping into the role of leader. Mm-hmm. I think that people see me as a leader. I mean, they should, you know, I'm, I'm, I started the company and I'm, and I help lead the company. So I think our staff certainly sees me that way. And, and some of the community must see me that way but it's been part of my learning the last several years to also see myself that way and it's something yeah. that I didn't realize I was doing that I wasn't seeing myself that way and I still struggle with like what it means to have power and that making that a positive thing that that doesn't have to be a negative thing and that I have not just not just should I should I um step into my power because it's, you know, it can be a positive thing, but it's a, it's a responsibility that I have to step into it. And, you know, I know I've already said a couple of times referring back to the work that I did with you, but that work really helped me see how good it could be to step into that. And so, yeah, so I guess my answer is kind of convoluted. I feel, I feel good. I feel like I feel more, you know, from small things like being in meetings and, and realizing like, oh, my voice really matters here. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't, I shouldn't sit here and not say anything. Like I, it's okay to, to say something and for it to be wrong. And my voice, um, like people want to hear what I have to say. And it's also important, you know, like it has a kind of weight that I don't even realize that it has. And I, I use that for good. And so, yeah, so that's why my answer is kind of complex that I'm still learning that. And I have moments of like, of realization in the middle of it and saying something in a meeting or being very present and, and participating in a way that maybe I wouldn't have in the past that, that feels enlightening to me. Like, oh, wow, I just noticed that I did that. And that felt right. And that felt good and helpful. Yeah. So yeah. still growing. Still growing. Still working on it. That but that's great. That's great. Okay. So I'm gonna ask you a few wild woman specific questions now. And by the way, we need more wild women in power, right? And we're talking about the good kind of power, that power with and power to mm-hmm. kind of power. And I know and I know that you do a lot of that. Yes. Okay. So my first my first wild question for you really is what's your earliest memory of being aware that you were a girl and what did it teach you about what a girl is? Several moments come to mind. The first feels like a huge stereotype actually, but I think it's fascinating that it, that it comes to mind and 
I'm curious what it's, what that means. But I remember being in probably kindergarten and we were playing dodgeball was like, or no kickball, kickball was like a big thing at the time. And I remember being one of the last people to be picked and it felt really embarrassing to me. And I, and I remember thinking like, this is because, you know, because I'm not as strong or I'm I'm a girl or whatever. Another, another example is I remember walking around like a property that we were, we were building a house and I had a dress on. I think I was probably four years old or something. And I, I remember feeling like how much of a contrast it was that I was wearing a dress and there was, and we were walking around in this really rough area, muddy and there was rebar around like in different places. And it just felt like such a funny contrast to me. But I remember feeling special that I got to wear a dress. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the second part of the question is what did it, what did you learn from that experience that was valuable about being a girl? What, what did it tell you was valuable mm. about being a girl? Yeah, I think, I mean, in some ways, kind of both of them, it, it being, being, being light and soft and, and kind of standing, you know, like hiding a little, like staying, being beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Being kind of, yeah, just st- staying out of the way, mm-hmm. being polite, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, those are the things that I remember from those early memories. Yeah. Yeah. And you said, um, you got to wear the dress. I got to be pretty. I got to look pretty. I got mm-hmm. to wear the dress. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So I have some sentences for you to complete. Okay. First sentence, women are. Women are strong. Yeah. I, I mean, there's so much more there, but I, I feel like women are so strong and it makes me think that I I think of that for so many different reasons for the the I mean literal pain that we go through and bringing you know humans into this world to the aftermath of that to being mothers and and having careers at the same time to putting up with all that we've had to put up with I mean, and, and to, yeah, to be, to be good examples for our children and to, I don't know, there's just so much, but that word really, really sticks out to me about, Mm. about women. Yeah. Awesome. And sometimes the pressure of having to be strong, though I I know that men feel this as well in, in a different way, Mm -hmm. but that, that pressure to hold it all together for everybody else sometimes seriously yeah yeah cool okay next next sentence to complete as a woman I am as a woman I am proud proud 
to be who I am. I am as a woman. I am strong, soft, sensitive, intuitive, connected. Lovely. Yeah, and how much of that, I'm trying to figure out what my question is, is something about the connection between that identity and being a woman? And is it important to identify, for you to identify as a woman in order to feel those things? Mm. Or is it not connected? I, well, I, that's such a good question. I, I kind of think it is. I mean, I, I feel, I guess the first thing I said, you know, I feel, I do, I feel pride. I, I feel proud of being a woman and all that that means, you know, in my own life and what led me here and what I've, what I've been through and what that, the experience of being a woman has, how that's impacted the different experiences of my life. So, yeah. Cool. I think so. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. So another, another sentence to complete. As a woman, I would like to be. As a woman, I would like to be more confident. Mm-hmm. Less concerned about what other people think. Less con- less attached to comparison. I would like to, oh, this is super specific, but it comes to mind. <laughs> I would like to be able to walk out the door without putting mascara on Mm. and feel as good as I do when I put it on and walk out Mm. the door. That sounds like a challenge. Yeah, I'll take it. (laughs) It's something that a friend of mine and I talk about a lot is, you know, that we, that we grew up, you know, feeling like it's, it's something that we needed to feel like our better selves or our our best selves and that boys and men don't, don't have that or don't, don't have to. Yeah. Just like they're just the simple act of getting ready is a different thing. And of course this is not for everyone, but I, we, we talk about how interesting it is that we, you know, we, we, we also are marketed to in that way. And we, I mean, I certainly have bought into it and how it's just like an unfair extra thing in our lives and how great it would be if we were just all, I don't know, that we, we, that I could, I just speak for myself, you know, feel just as much like myself um, without that extra act, that extra time, that extra money, that, that extra thing. Yeah. Um, I just think it's interesting to think about. And, you know, on the other hand, I, I do feel pretty when I wear makeup. I, I like the way that I look and I, and I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, Mm. but I would like to have more of the choice for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that we've talked about this and we've talked about it in the, in the community as well, you know, that, that so much of the messaging we've all got around 
having to go out with makeup on, for example, is marketing. Mm-hmm. Is marketing from the beauty industry. Has there always been currency to youth and beauty? Absolutely. Yes, we mm-hmm. know that. And the beauty industry has profited hugely from what is already conditioning, deep, deep conditioning that we have around having to look young and beautiful effectively. Effectively, it's fertile, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Down to the roots of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of part of activism, and you know that's 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 where I I like to play is is going, yeah, I'm just going out with a bare face and I'm, and I'm good with that. Right. Yeah. I love thinking of it like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> even in the community on our, on our Friday Zooms, we try not to apologize for having wet hair or no makeup right. on because, you know, why on earth should we? Um, yeah. So yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And I think the change starts with each of us, every single one of us. You have a little girl yeah. watching every move. I know. Yeah. I think about it all the time. Yeah. So so what we do is teaching our, our daughters. What we do is teaching our daughters, not what we say. <laughs> mm-hmm. How we behave. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is a challenge, just like you said, this is a challenge. Challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah, you know, I always go back to the belief. What what do you need to believe in order to be able to leave the house with a bare face and feel really good about yourself while you do it? Mm-hmm. That's the challenge. I will leave you with that. <laughs> okay. So these first three episodes are around the theme of unlearning. Mm-hmm. The idea being that we're all born with this programming, really, this societal conditioning about how the world works, what is and what isn't, what's right, what's wrong, what is a woman, what is a man, how you should live, how you should be. And that really to become the truest expressions, truest and most useful expressions of ourselves in this life, we need to unlearn a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. in order to really become ourselves and become as effectively ourselves as possible. So my question for you is just a little, just a little question. (laughs) What do you need to unlearn before you leave this planet? That, and I'm working on it, still still working on this, that, that, that I need to please others, that my worth is in pleasing other people and making other people happy. Mm, great. Yeah, I've done yeah. a lot of work on this with you, Emma, and, and, and continued to do work on it. But there was a time when, um, and yeah, I still struggle with this, but there's a time when I learned or understood that I didn't even know what I wanted in any Mm. situation. Because what I'm thinking of first is what, 
you know, what my husband wants, what my coworker wants, what, what my daughter wants, what my mom wants, like a friend, instead of, instead of asking myself, like, what is it that I want or what do I think, you know? And, and I think that I've made my, myself small in that way in the past. And I mean, despite my success with the business, I, I still, oh yeah, I find it interesting that I, I'm able to put myself out in a certain way for, for the business and for, for all these big things that I've done in my life. Yet I find myself in this place where I, I feel like I had I don't even know really how I got here. I, you know, I, I don't know what I think about that or, yeah. So I, it's, I've, I've made a lot of progress, but it's something that I think, you know, the question unlearning before I, what must I unlearn before I leave this planet? It, it feels like it's something that will be a lifelong journey for me. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, I think for most women, that's true. You know, we're taught that our value is in what we give Mm -hmm. and putting others, other people's needs first. And it's not that those things aren't important. They are, they're great. But I think it's been to, to the degree where, as you say, we have not been able to consider our own point of view first or even pause for a minute and say well what do I think mm-hmm. before I actually defer to everybody else <laughs> what's my position and even if I then decide to give up that position knowing that that's what you're doing I think is important absolutely I, I love how you put that and that's something I've been trying to practice is like what do I think of, of this thing? Is it, does it matter that I have a voice here? That doesn't matter that I, you know, state my opinion or get involved, all that. I'm really yeah. trying to be intentional about, about those things. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So a fun question to finish because mm. we are wild women after all. And in fact, you, you've been through becoming wild and becoming wilder. So you're an even wilder woman. Okay. But even so, the question is, where in your life would you like to be wilder? Ooh. (laughs) Oh, this is good. I'd like to be wilder with music. That's the first thing that came to mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I'd like to be less inhibited about it. I love music. I love I love making music. I I don't have a ton of skill, but I I want to be open to learning without um yeah, being worried about how I sound or or what I'm making or you know, just kind of explore. Yeah. Awesome. I would like to hear that. (laughs) Yay. Well, maybe I'll invite you to a show sometime. (laughs) Yay. I love that. Okay. Thank you so much, Betsy, for sharing your story with us and for indulging my, my, my quite intimate questions. So thank you very, very much. 
Can you please tell us, I know people are going to want to know how to find you and the store and how to buy your beautiful jewellery. So can you can you please tell us how we can find you? Sure thing. And thank you, Emma, so much for having me. It's such a joy to be here with you. And I always love talking to you. So anytime. <laughs> so for Betsy and Aya, you can find us. We're on the corner of Northwest 24th and Thurman in Portland. We're about to open a fine jewelry shop. So we'll have two shops and be here very soon. And we have our production studio. We have on the corner, we have a fashion um, jewelry shop and uh, where we, we make all of the jewelry on the space in between. So our production studio will sit in between both of the shops. I do a lot of custom work, as we mentioned earlier, bespoke work, where I listen to stories of people in all kinds of different moments and special moments in their lives and create something that's one of a kind just for them. So that's something that I'm sure I'll do a lot more of in the future and um, super excited to do that. You can find us online, of course, at BettyAndIad.com. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll make sure that all of that information goes in the show notes. Thanks so much. So thank you. Thank you so much to Betsy for joining us today. That's it for the show. Becoming Wild is a podcast written and produced by me, Emma Whittard. Special thanks go to Andrea Leader-Wilborn, Jill Smolin and Dean and De Silva. You can get more information about the show and other ways to experience my work at www.emmawittard.com. Please subscribe to Becoming Wild on your favourite podcast app and give us lots of lovely stars. It will make a huge difference to the discoverability of the show. If you'd like more direct coaching from me, please consider joining my Wild Woman community, where I post new content every few days and coach in the comments. And we have live coaching sessions every Friday. Or contact me to explore one-to-one coaching. If you have a question about what we covered today, or anything else you'd like some support over, you can email me at info at subject line wild questions. And I might just respond on the show. You'll be anonymous, of course. All of this information is in the show notes. Thank you for listening. You matter. What you do matters. And when a woman truly knows that, she changes the world. See you next time on Becoming Wild.